welcome to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the Thoughtful Book Club podcast featuring two friends. I'm Travis, joined as always by my co-host Amanda. Welcome back, Amanda. Hello. How's it going? How's the afternoon treating you? It's great. So Feel far. like getting lost in a library of, of infinite possibility? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kinda? Okay. If you have uh, listeners, if you have no idea why we're musing about library time, it is because you've stumbled <laughs> upon a book recommendation episode for a novel called The Midnight Library by Matt Hagg. We are, again, the Lightly Literary Podcast. Uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook under that handle. It's just at the Lightly Literary Podcast. All one word. If you've never listened to the show before, this is a great place to start, actually, because our book recommendations are the non-spoiler, kind of broad talk episodes about a book that we cover and analyze in the feed. And so if you're curious or you want a new book recommendation, want a reading idea, yeah, stick with us. These episodes are short. They're under 30 minutes, and we will just broadly discuss the work, you know, what makes it work or doesn't, and kind of recommend it in a general sense. Um, today, as I mentioned, will be about a novel by Matt Hagg called The Midnight Library, which I chose. Let me read from the cover briefly, give you a premise of the book, and then we can uh, go from there. Between life and death, there is a library. Up until now, Nora Seed's life has been full of misery and regret. She feels she has let everyone down, including herself, but things... But things are about to change. When she finds herself at the Midnight Library, she has a chance to make things right. The books in the Midnight Library enable Nora to live as if she had done things differently. And then we'll pause on the cover there. So I chose this for a couple reasons. Um, One of which is going to immediately sound naive (laughs) and foolish, because it was. Uh, This book is widely acclaimed. It has, I think, half a million reviews on Goodreads, a really high rating on there. I don't know what the stars are, but it's very high. It's really popular, got a lot of attention uh, on the internet, in book circles. It was, you know, just widely read, I guess. And so I wanted to pick something. Yeah, of course, we want people to, you know, read what we cover on the pod and listen. So that's an obvious appeal. But also, I prefer sci-fi, fantasy, strange things, magical realism, all those labels. And I thought that the premise of this sounded kind of fantastical in a way that was accessible, maybe. That was my hope. And so I didn't want to pick too heavy a sci-fi thing and put people off. You know, it's kind of a one for us, one for them kind of philosophy. This, yeah, this book's really popular. And I thought the premise was just, just fantastical enough to intrigue me. So I thought it could maybe hit, you know, those two areas, I suppose. Um, but Amanda, it's clear we have to stop picking on Goodreads. That's just obvious. I don't know why. Again, I've just been burned so many times. We've got burned again. I, I'm a fool. I think I've made all those mistakes. Well, not Evelyn Hugo. That was your pick. But it's, yeah, not sure what I'm doing or thinking. I liked Evelyn Hugo better than some of the other good, too. good read books that we've... <laughs> uh, me too. No, that's true. That's true. I won't disparage that. That's not... Yes, that's that's unfair, maybe. But that was a, that was the warning shot. That was the like we should. I should have read that as that should have been a more meaningful t- teacher uh, teachable moment, you know. Mm-hmm, anyway, mm-hmm. Um, so that's what we'll be discussing today. Let's talk about this book and recommend it. See if the people out there want to read it. We'll start with rapid fire recommendations. This is where we go back and forth with some some very quick fill in the blank recommendations. I'll get us started. I think you should read this book if you enjoy philosophy, but you haven't actually read a lot of it, or it intrigues you, but you haven't really dove in. Certainly not if you've if you have like a postgraduate degree in it or something like. I don't think this will interest you at all. But if you have, <laughs> if you're curious about philosophy or even casually enjoy it, I think you could like this. 
That's hilarious because my first one is also if you like philosophy or at least allusions to philosophers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If the implications of philosophy seem cool, but you don't want to read really dense, weird, hard stuff, you know, all right, you're in a good place. Yep, especially if you like the row. Yes, yeah, well, that's good. We tag team that one. I'll, I'll go again. Um, you should read this book if you live with regrets, and I would even add preferably like significant regrets in your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um, I said uh, you should read this if you like for things to be spelled out for you, including plot, theme, descriptions. <laughs> it's just so directly written. It really yeah. is. Yeah, it's this is not a book of ambiguity or deep kind of, I don't know, literary style. It's, it's going to be on the page. You know, it's mm-hmm. all on the page. Uh, to that, I'll add you should read this book if you want an uplifting summertime read. Yeah, I think that it's, it's pretty good for summertime when you want something that's uh, a little easier on the brain um, and, and a good good mood book, as yeah. in it, it's meant to create a good mood, not that it's in a you. movie book. Right, <laughs> yeah. in, in your emotional state, in your body and brain. Exactly, yeah. It is not a Stephen King book. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, and my next one, I think dovetails with yours pretty well which is if you want to read something life affirming so again that affirmation yeah yeah i i don't even think it's a spoiler to say this is headed in that direction because it it just becomes apparent pretty quickly i mean there's twists and turns so to speak i think plot wise is actually pretty light on the twists and turns but it is yeah it's life affirming there's just no just expect that it there and i think the thematic stuff becomes clear pretty quickly too but so not Mm -hmm. a spoiler um i think you should read this book if you are curious about some of the worst detective fiction that has ever been put on a page (laughs) if you want to see truly some of the narratively most ill-conceived detective work then you should read this honestly yeah i Mm-hmm. That was that was a big stickler that we talk about in the. It's such a weird choice, <laughs> and we really we really dig into it. <laughs> um, you should read this book if you like experimental writing referencing social media. Ooh, that's an interesting one because there was a really big book last year called Nobody Is Talking About This. Did you hear about that? Uh uh-uh. uh I only read reviews of it, so I haven't picked it up yet. But that is a book really about social media. So I don't know. I mean, this book does include that. I'm not dismissing what you said. But I feel like we're starting to see, actually, a literary generation who wants to engage with that stuff pretty deeply. This, I would say, hmm. it's in the book somewhat. Hey, guess what? It props up a lot at the time, Amanda. Some really bad detective fiction. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that. Um, Mm -hmm. My final one then, I think you should read this book if you like really fast-paced stories and let me say this, for all the good and bad that that entails. Yep, that's a a very valid point. Um, It is very fast-paced. It is. Full stop. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And my final one, which um, ties in with one of your previous ones, is if you feel overwhelmed with regrets. Yeah, it, it, it does come out as kind of a, it's kind of life coach, the fictional work. And so mm-hmm. I think it maybe could help a person like that. It's a good one to mention. Yeah. Let's move on, though. Another uh, segment here we've got planned, Pop Culture Touchstone. This is when we obviously try and relate this book to anything from, it could just be culture, too, not pop culture. So books, TV, movies, other, you know, works, music even. Uh, what's yours, Amanda? Why don't you start us off? Um, have you ever seen Quantum Leap? I have not, No. 
Um, so I also have never actually fully watched an episode, but I was talking to my husband last night about this book and explaining the premise to him. And he was like, mm-hmm. it kind of sounds like Quantum Leap. And he explained what Quantum Leap is to me. And I thought that it was very fitting. Um, oh, so cool. Quantum okay. Leap is uh, the, the main character goes... Um, he, he takes over a historical person's consciousness and not like somebody who's well known, but like an everyday person in the past during a very important part of history. So okay. it's like if instead of it being um, Dr. Martin Luther King, it's actually like Dr. Martin Luther King's like second cousin twice removed or something like that, but still has a very significant um, effect on that piece of history but that nobody ever like knows that that was like an important piece of history so it's like background stuff um but what's similar is that when he takes over the consciousness of that person he cannot um get he cannot access the memories of that person so it is just him in this person's body with just his personal knowledge and he's having to use uh his knowledge of history and um, his ability to kind of deal with, like, being in a situation where he has to, like, act a certain way and, and respond a certain way. So it's, it's very much similar to Nora in that respect, but without the cool twists and turns of it being about, like, a historical time and stuff like that. Yeah, interesting. I Yeah, that does sound... I like the kind of smallness aspect of that. That does sound kind of enticing. I will say that this book, not a major spoiler to say it, our goal, of course, in the book Rex is never to like spoil things or really analyze, but it's, she makes pretty big leaps a lot of the time in this book. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like really profound changes, which I think is why in the quick Rex, <laughs> we both mentioned like, you got to have some significant things hanging over you maybe to yeah. fully connect with this. Um, so there's that aspect to it. Yeah, it's a good pick. I'm going to go with uh, one I mentioned in one of the book clubs, but let me dig into it here. Um, there's kind of a hit movie from this year called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Have you heard about this? Other than no. from me. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Um, you should watch the trailer after this. It's intriguing. It's it's really, it really got a ton, a heap of critical praise. Um, and it managed to make a good, like a lot of money compared to, it's an indie movie, that, indie movie that released during COVID. So I think with those conditions, it was kind of a big hit, kind of a big darling. Um it's an ambitious book. It's it's imperfect for sure. It's also, I think, maybe a touch sentimental. It, it earns it, I think, in a lot of ways, and then in others, maybe maybe doesn't. And again, compared to the critical heap of praise piled on it, like I thought it was excellent. I don't know if I thought it was the best movie ever made or, or whatever, but I thought it was pretty great. It's a multiverse movie. Um, here's my touchstone, though, or what I'd like to say. If you're thinking about reading this book, just go watch that movie first. It's a, obviously movies are shorter investments. The the contrast between these two things is like staggering to me because they're both multiversal stories. They both involve characters exploring other lives and like trying to figure out how they should be in their life they have or maybe don't. They both have a ton of things about regret and paths not chosen. Uh, But whereas this book is so tidy, it is like the modernist Ikea version of that. That is like a that is like a jumbled up mess explosion of creativity it is like an in truly at times unhinged wild exploration of of this infinite idea this idea of like truly limitlessness 
And this version, though, this book is so handheld on the rails, it just makes the everything everywhere at once seem like the most original thing ever put in, in a story ever in the history of humankind, like by comparison. <laughs> I just can't emphasize that enough. Um, and so, you know, obviously, again, I don't want to heap praise on a movie we're not even here to analyze or whatever. Again, thought it was excellent, loved it, but it's just there's just such a contrast here and I just could not help thinking about it because this is a multiversal story just in service of such a pretty clear and we as we hinted the book on the book clubs cliched theme or themes maybe and Mm -hmm. everything everywhere is just not as content with that and again even slips into sentimentality at times sure but is like a very different project so if you've seen that movie and you like are just curious about multiversal whatever stories in general like yep this one is doing it too but it's a fascinating contrast i think in terms yep. of study there could not be a better compare contrast honestly than this book in that movie it's like mm-hmm. stunning how different they they are <laughs> yeah so, yeah check out the trailer if you're if you're intrigued yeah i i'm definitely gonna look it up actually i when i just typed it in so that i could see what who's in it i was like oh i have heard of this movie yeah, and it does seem really interesting. And like one of the guys in it, one of the main male characters, is the guy who pl- who's in the Goonies and in yeah his Indiana first big Jones. role as an yeah. adult. He like left yeah. Hollywood or something. Yeah, and Michelle Yeoh, a legend. Um, they use her karate, full karate training to its utmost. <laughs> um, it, it's also that movie. To be fair, also you know genre differences, right? That is an action movie in a lot of respects. This is n- this is not an action book <laughs> or something. It's not a you know it's not not interested in that. So emotionally pretty different but that but the fact that that movie gets away with some of the things it does and still hits the emotional highs just shows the accomplishment and concision and like tightness of vision this book has you know emotional highs but I, it didn't hit me at all in the same yeah. way because it felt like it was just too safe too on the rails too predictable cliched whatever description so let's move to our scripted pitches um we each prepare something in advance about 200 words or less and we've again written this in advance to kind of give you a a coherent sense of what reading this book is like amanda why don't you start with your scripted pitch first sure um, the Midnight Library has an interesting premise, jumping alternate realities to try to find the perfect life amongst a collection of green books in a library that exists in the main character's not-quite-dead mind. Uh, such a premise invites some creative storytelling and interesting scenarios. Haig, it seems, put his own spin on that invitation. He does play with different forms. There are tweets, poems, songs, Facebook messages, etc., He does sparingly have some interesting metaphors and plenty of illusions. Despite all that, his writing is, well, bland. (laughs) There's a lot of Mm -hmm. listing, a lot of repetition, and not a whole lot of detail. The focus of Haig's writing in this novel is actually his philosophical ideals about life and how to live. The scenarios have the potential to be weird, crazy, and interesting, but they're super predictable and serve as the vehicle for the main character's usually cliched epiphanies. However, I can see how this novel can appeal to certain groups of people. It's an easy, quick read that spells everything out for you. It's pleasant enough for a read-through if you're okay with predictability. Yeah, there is a... 
you know, we, we strike upon, again, the difference between maybe commercial art and other forms or something, but it does have an accessibility and a clarity that I think if a person needs that and wants to disappear into a book for that, then more power to them. I don't know. I mean, there's also yeah. self-help is a literal genre of book, though. That's another thing I struggle right. with. It's it's we, <laughs> we hit this hard. We hit books on this hard that we feel like are not taking up the project of fiction when we read fiction, right? When we read fiction, I think you and I are both pretty... I don't know. It's because it, it, saying something like the bar is high makes art like, it makes it sound like objective. Like we know what's good and not, which obviously is that's kind of a foolish notion. But also, right. like if you're not going to experiment or play around with the whole idea of you have fiction in front of you, use the toolkit. You know, to an extent. Like I think you and I hammer books that don't do that, and this mm-hmm. is, this book is that. It's this is could just be a self help book. You know, about like a Thoreau book that also like is life affirming in a way. So I just don't. I think it, it just falls short in the fictional stuff. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I'll do my scripted pitch. The Midnight Library is, as the internet databases would have you believe, like Goodreads and Amazon reviews, and remind you, it is an acclaimed book, widely acclaimed and beloved. Sure, it has a grim if inventive premise, so, you know, you laid it out, but what if the afterlife was, at first, a library where you got to live other versions of your life before you died? Uh, but author Matt Hag has filed off the edges of this and has filed off any potential discomforts and has so delivered a crowd pleaser, I guess we'd have to call it that. Um, it reads yeah. like one for sure, for better and worse. And I, of course, have already said mostly worse to me. It reads <laughs> like a blog post half finished, an idea that I come back to a lot in the pods or maybe like 75 percent finished. You know, it's it's got coherent ideas um it is a smile and nod inducing blend of casual philosophy what if isms and sentimentality it is literally a hallmark movie in slightly slightly upscaled literary form very slightly and for all that i think this book is fine if you need an uplifting read about why it's worth staying alive this novel won't perturb you and it, it certainly won't make you feel worse it will in fact probably comfort you a bit it would be difficult for the novel not to since it insists on its themes at the end and is very clear about what its ideas are and and why you should live it is a book of multiverses but not of oddities or ambiguities which just feels like a tough thing to say it is a book about life but it hardly feels alive especially stylistically um, and I'm sorry if that description's cruel but it really does not feel mm-hmm. like vibrant <laughs> um, it's a yeah. book you should probably purchase in an airport finish on the plane and then leave on a table in the next airport as you leave it like that feels like where this book should live uh, it likely won't stick with you for much longer anyway and but judging by some of the reviews i read i guess it might like i you know what do i know obviously like my taste is different than than a lot of people's i think and that's fine um i chose this book because i thought it would be an imaginative but accessible science fiction like magical realism fantasy pick i already laid that out i also knew like i said it was widely beloved and I stayed away, I'll say this, I st- stayed away from stranger, more dense, like, sci-fi stuff, because I knew this one would get its point across without bogging the reader down with, you know, like, sci-fi tropes and oddities and just kind of accessibility issues. But it, it does that and isn't bogging us down, and I'm still disappointed. I will say this, I won't be picking with that sort of filtering again, because as this book so taught me... Amanda, we've only got so much time in this life to read, and I'll <laughs> yep. say this, we should not waste it trying to please other people and fit our taste mm-hmm. with others. So I can at least take that away from this book. You're right, book. I should not waste my time and live with literary regrets. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for yep. that. <laughs> <laughs> so we did learn something. <laughs> we sure did. It's, that's the Hague effect. <laughs> <laughs>
uh, <laughs> as the one of the reviews we talk about outlines. Uh, let's move to the final segment here, the quote for clarification. We've each chosen some paragraphs to read or some text to read from the story to give you an actual sense of its style and themes and stuff, because uh, at this point we've, you know, described it plenty. Amanda, why don't you start us off with your quote for clarification before we wrap up? Sure. Uh, my quote comes from actually the very first page. Um, and we have... It was hard to compare Mrs. Elm to her mother, who treated Nora like a mistake in need of correction. For instance, when she was a baby, her mother had been so worried Nora's left ear stuck out more than her right that she'd used sticky tape to address the situation, then disguised it beneath a woolen bonnet. Mrs. Elm had short gray hair and a kind of mildly crinkled oval face sitting pale above her turtle green polo neck. She was quite old. But she was also the person most on Nora's wavelength in the entire school, et cetera, et cetera. So I chose that quote because the characterization of Nora's mother, I was like, oh, man, that's really interesting. Um, she could really build up on that, which she doesn't. And then the description of Mrs. Elm, where she is kind mildly crinkled crinkled oval face when you th use the word crinkled we know that she's old automatically right but then the very next sentence is she was quite old so <laughs> the so we i chose this quote because we have a really great like setup for a personality for a characterization with Nora's mother and then we have the physical description of Mrs. Elm, and then it is further clarified when we already know from the description that she's old, that she is old, which is very much in style with um, Haig kind of laying everything out for us. Yeah, it's that quote is emblematic for sure of his his style, and again, the complimentary way to say it is clarity, that there's clarity to it. The less flattering way to say it is that it's kind of rote and boring, little little predictable and everything. And so I think, yeah, it's... Mrs. Elm's an interesting character, and like you said, could have been a nice twist on things or added some real complication, but instead just kind of functions in a, in a much like simpler kindly i guess i'd say role in the in the book oddly enough my quote is also with mrs elm so you know she she does show up pretty consistently to guide nora so maybe it's fitting we both chose the kind of um the guide of this story <laughs> mine's from page 66 after she pulls nora out of one of her lives this uh, reads, Nora was hot with agitation now. That's even worse. You sent me into a life knowing that my cat's Volts would be dead, and Volts was dead, so nothing changed. Mrs. Elm's eyes twinkled again, except you. Hey, what do you mean? Well, you don't see yourself as a bad cat owner anymore. You looked after him as well as he could have been looked after. He loved you as much as you loved him, and maybe he didn't want you to see him die. You see, cats know. They understand when their time is up. He went outside because he was going to die, and he knew it. Nora tried to take this in. Now she thought about it. There hadn't been any external sides of damage on her cat's body. She had just jumped into the same conclusion that Ash had jumped to, that a dead cat on the road was probably dead because of the road. And if a surgeon could think that, a mere layperson would think it too. Two plus two equals car accident. So, you know, a little trying to put a little twist on on the rhetorical thing at the end with a common, almost cliche. Shame you, you know, you try and twist a cliche and then your book ends up deploying so many. That's kind of a tough, <laughs> it's kind of a tough look, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, it's unfortunate that the undergirding this is a lot of like simplistic kind of cliched stuff. Anyway, I just think that paragraph shows kind of what this book is content to do, which is she lives a life that actually isn't so different. Probably if you're coming at it from my angle, the more like, let's get imaginative 
with this. Let's get everything everywhere all at once with it. It ends up just being way safer and adheres much closer to what it outlines at the beginning. So it's moments like that. And then again, there's just such an obviousness with, obviousness with Mrs. Elm a fun tongue twister because yeah she's always there or mostly is always there to summarize to give life lessons to make sure that Nora gets it you know that she's not gonna not gonna veer too far off the path or not gonna fail to learn like it's it is just structurally so safe very on the rails very holding your hand Um, and if you need your hand held I think that's fine at times. I don't know. It's it's not like we're always reading. You and I aren't just cracking open Moby Dick every day for fun or whatever. Like you don't have to. We're not reading Paradise Lost every weekend just to feel something. Like I get it. So I think that's fine. But you just have to know going into this book that that's going to be what it is. Extremely yeah. clear reflection with extremely clear life lessons taken away. Yep. Uh, every every situation will will definitely have a life lesson that is spelled out for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that I would choose that one too. And it's an early one. There's more. There's more like interesting. Maybe we could say memories that get thrown in there. So I didn't want to again spoil on the book rack. Any final thoughts then, Amanda? Given our quotes, uh, any final thoughts on the Midnight Library by Matt Hag? Um, just that even though like you and I didn't enjoy it, we still had really good discussion about it. So I enjoyed our discussions. So even if we didn't convince you to read it, you should at least listen to us. Of course. Yeah. I think we've, we've hit this a lot, but I'll say it again. True things sometimes are worth repeating. Some of our more critical episodes are more interesting anyway, more fun, more intriguing. Like it's important to experience things you dislike. It helps clarify things for your taste and everything. Exactly. So, yeah, I think we we always have good chats. This was, yeah, it was a fun discussion. And I, there's just such a clear audience for this book, right? The online metrics, those can't all be bots, you know? It's, yeah. There's a clear, like, there's people who need to read books like this or really love love that. So, I, you know, I think that's fine, too. But we, we dig in and are not content to accept this as a self-help book. We, right. <laughs> we treat it uh, as a work of fiction as it is and uh, perhaps, you know, come away a little more critical anyway uh that's our thoughts so hopefully you you know take us up or at least listen in um we have other books coming up in order uh the book clubs for this one will obviously be released on the next couple fridays if you're listening to this on its release date so check that otherwise it'll be in the feed our feed is kind of an archive of all the books we've covered so just search the feed it'll be there amanda do you want to lay out the other books in case we failed to persuade them on this one not our best case Yeah, we've got, um, next up is Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zauner, which is a memoir. Uh, Then we have Dubliners by James Joyce, which is a short story classic, uh, Mm -hmm. short story collection. And then we have The Human Stain by Philip Roth, which is a novel. Yeah, two pretty literary heavy hitters there at the end. And Crying in H Mart, now let's see, just to be clear, we chose Crying in H Mart kind of for similar reasons to this book, just in terms of its online reputation, popularity, and sort of widely acclaimed style. It's also like we haven't done a memoir in a minute, or was it we yeah. did that food one, um, Blood, Bones, and Butter? Uh, fascinating read that was. But yeah, I, I have higher hopes for that, though. I think, I don't know, I haven't read it yet, obviously, but I, mm-hmm. I get the sense that because it's a memoir, it will be a little a little more substantive or something, or I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, apparently the um, the author, Michelle Zauner, she is a musician. So yes. I, 
I feel like it'll be more creative. I think least. so, but we'll see. We'll see. Matt Haig, again, didn't know nothing about the man, haven't Googled him, haven't looked him up. I, he just needs to be on the self-help circuit, like doing talks or whatever. It just seems like that's where yeah. his tone, that's maybe where he, he wants is. to, honestly, maybe. <laughs> it just seems like that's where his tone and the kind of ideas are at. And it's just like, man, let's get you out of literary fiction or fiction. Like, why are we, well, why are we doing this? <laughs> it just seems like you could give people legitimate help. You know, maybe, and honestly, he probably has written like a memoir kind of like this, I bet. Anyway, yeah. that's fine we're just rambling now those are our upcoming books we hope you join us again we have been the lightly literary podcast find us on any podcast platform under that name and we also have social media accounts on facebook and instagram so give us a follow there we promote our upcoming episodes and you know post reminders and stuff some promotional art for what we're reading if you're going to read this with us the first half of the book club will cover page one through 143 uh, or through the chapter called expectation so if you're going to read with us that's where we'll be stopping for part one we also announced that on the episode, so we got you covered either way. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, we'll see you between the pages.